This is Gareth Southgate, and this is the Three Lions Podcast. Welcome to the Three Lions Podcast. My name is Russell Osborne and this, as you know, is an independent England football supporters podcast. And you join me as I am on my way to Middlesbrough. Finally, we've got a couple of games to go and watch. I've got my ticket, I've got my shirt, I've got my car parking pass. I've got a negative lateral flow test, which I guess is possibly more important than the ticket. Just hoping for a good journey up. Hoping for a good game, hoping to catch up with some people. Just hoping to uh, have a good day out of the football. And uh, yeah, come on. Come along with me. So I'm a couple of hours into this journey. It's got me thinking, kind of reminiscing. Since England started playing on the road, basically I guess when, when the old Wembley was knocked down, wasn't it? Trying to think, where have I seen us play? There was a period of time where I wasn't able to go, so sort of 2003, 2004 time. So I know I was, I was saving for my first flat, I think, at the time. And I didn't go to places, I didn't go to Middlesbrough the first time around, and I know I haven't been to Newcastle and Sunderland, because I'm sure that was around that time. And I haven't been, I don't know. I haven't been to West Ham for England. I know there was a game there at Upton Park. Ipswich. There was a game at Ipswich which I didn't go to. But then I'm thinking, right, where where have I been? First game I went to on the road was, I think, Sven's first game. It was Aston Villa. It was at Villa Park. I think we played Spain. I've been to Anfield. I know that. I've been to Anfield a couple of times. I know I went once with England. I sat, sat on the front row of the cot. That took my uh, took my breath away. To be fair, that one. Uh, Pride Park. I went to Derby. Saw us play Mexico there. I saw a post on Twitter recently. That was twenty years ago. <laughs> twenty years ago, we won four nil. And where else have I been? White Hart Lane. Yes, as an Arsenal supporter, the only time I ever set foot in White Hart Lane uh, was to see England play Holland. I've got a feeling we lost two nil, and I can't remember who scored for Holland. But there was a fantastic goal from a, uh, from a Dutch player there. And I remember I sat in the upper tier along one of the sides at Spurs. Just remember thinking it was ever so steep. Old Trafford, been to Old Trafford a couple of times. Of course, there was the, uh, the famous game where Beckham scored in the last minute, which sent us to the World Cup in 2002. I was there for that. Uh, staying up in Manchester, I went to the Etihad. That was a game... That was a pre-tournament friendly against Turkey, I think. I think we won that one. 3-1, 2-1. I 
uh, still in that sort of area, Leeds. I remember going up into Leeds a couple of times, Elland Road. I remember seeing us play Italy there a long time ago. Apparently I was on the telly for that, for that one. I remember someone, when I got home or the following day, someone said, oh, I saw you on the telly. And of course, recently we played Costa Rica. Um, that, was, that was just before the World Cup, wasn't it? Friendly up there. Uh, King Power at Leicester. Who did we play at Leicester? Uh, I don't know. I remember sitting behind the goal at Leicester. That's going to bug me now. Who did we play at Leicester? Can't remember. Uh, and then, of course, most recently, there was Southampton down at St Mary's. Well, that was the last time we were on the road, I think, when we played Kosovo. Uh, yeah, that was the last time. I've been on the road and so yeah this, this game at Middlesbrough will be the first time I've been up to Middlesbrough first time I've been up to this neck of the woods following England anyway still got a little bit further to uh, to go before we reach Middlesbrough so yeah, let's crack on get there soon here I am Middlesbrough I can see at the Riverside Stadium just in front of me you have arrived Right, parked up, quick pint with Sam from It's Coming Home TV, good to uh, finally meet in person, and now I'm going to take a wander into town, see what I can see, itching to have one of these Palmo, Palmo, Palmo things, to be fair, I'm starving, so yeah, let's see what I can find. Why is it you can never find something when you want it? Well, hello, this will do. Sopranos, Parmesans. Hello. Hello there. I've never had one before. Oh, you never had one? No, no, no. Yeah, I'm not... I'll recommend you a plain one. Plain one? Yeah. Go on in. Half a pound. How hungry are you? Sorry? How hungry are you? Well, I've just driven from Hertfordshire, so I'm pretty hungry. Half yeah. a pound. Go on half for me. Huh? Whatever you think I should have. So where come from, mate? Where? 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 Where's that? It's a town in Hertfordshire called Ware. Oh, isn't it? <laughs> I'm not saying because I just work here, but Thomas and me are nice. Are they? We've got to have it with garlic sauce. Make sure you get a cup of garlic as well. You, um, yeah, yeah. Look, you, you tell me how to have it, mate. I tell you, if it's this good, I'll come back on Sunday. So here it is then. The famous Middlesbrough Palmo. Weighs a ton. It's coming like an eight-inch size pizza box. Good to see it's come with obligatory rabbit food. A bit of garlic sauce and open it. Oh my word. Size of that. This is a half. Jeez. I'd never be able to eat a whole one of these. Well, uh, I'll take a picture of this, but there are uh, chips. Hmm. Oh yeah. I'm going to say some sort of chicken under grilled cheese. Mmm, oh yeah, that's nice. So I'm actually sitting right by the uh, the famous, is it the Tees Transporter Bridge? Um, obviously quite famous up here in, uh, in Middlesbrough. Let's whack a bit of that garlic on. I'd never have been able to eat on a big one. Um, so yeah, this is my pre-match meal. This will fill me up for the journey back. 
Oh, I don't know how many chickens gave up their lives for that palmo, but it's beaten me. <laughs> That's massive. That's big, but it's filled me up. Uh, and I can walk it off now. And I've come down to where the transporter bridge is. It's a massive blue bridge, cast iron, it looks like. Down the viewing area. This is the best place to get a good view of Teesside's landmark, it says here. It's huge. You can just see the riverside just through it. And the tea's flowing underneath it. Surprisingly, I'm the only one here. Okay. Right, players have arrived. Got my ticket. Let's see what the procedure is to get in. I've got my phone. Shows my lateral flow test negative. Hello, mate. I have. In there. There is. Yeah. All good. Sorry. Yes. <laughs> so many things, mate. Mask on. Sanitize. Magic. Cheers, mate. Thank you. Sanitize hands. Mask on. Nearly forgot. And that lovely sound of a turnstile. And there we are. I'm in. Oh, it's bright. And there I am inside a stadium for the first time since Kosovo away. am Sunday 6th of June England face Romania today again at the Riverside kickoff is at five part of me thinks I must be mad uh, the other says this <laughs> this is my duty <laughs> seriously uh, it does make you think though how fortunate I am or, or for those of us that do live in the south many England fans are going to be doing this journey in reverse over the next few weeks and indeed have been doing over the past however many years. So I take my hat off to you. So Russell, stop moaning. Let's crack on. Oh, and here we are again. Middlesbrough. <laughs> Decent drive up. No real issues. I've almost got the uh, got same parking space, certainly in the same area. Your usual parking spot, Russell? Yes, well, certainly. Um... So yeah, all right, that's it. Made it here. Let's, uh, let's go for another wander. I know the lay of the land now.
So that's enough of me and my days out. So here I am now, sat in rather more comfortable chair rather than a, a car seat or a faded plastic flip-down seat. All in all, a couple of mediocre games that really didn't give us any indication of how things are going to be for that opener against Croatia on Sunday the 13th. It was a poor Austria side, in my opinion, one who, based on what I saw, I don't think will offer a great deal on the tournament. Uh, Although perhaps some will say the same of England. And Romania, a bit stubborn. Uh, But the England starting eleven against them was, was almost a B team from days gone by. And to be honest, pre-tournament games don't tend to have much of a bearing on how things are going to pan out. So coming away wasn't really fussed. Just nice after a long 18 months of not really going anywhere and not seeing many people. That was what I think I'll remember it for. But here to digest it just a little bit more is Aidan Smith from 3lions.net. Aidan, hello there. You all right? Hi, you all right. How's it going? Oh, I'm all very well, thank you. Yeah, all good. Excited for the tournament? Oh, yes. We've waited a bit too long, haven't we? We have. We have. So one thing I haven't really touched on is the omissions um, from the squad. The seven players that were cut seems a bit harsh. Put Slashed, put to one side is a, uh, is a bit harsh. But no, there was seven players that Gareth decided not to, to use. Um, Mason Greenwood was kind of made easy for him, wasn't it? Um, and to be honest, I... I think that he was going to go by the wayside. Uh, the other players were James Ward-Prowse, Jesse Lingard, Aaron Ramsdale, Ben Godfrey, Ollie Watkins, and initially Ben White. But that Austria game, Trent Alexander-Arnold had a, um, an innocuous injury, a thigh injury that basically saw him pull out and, and Ben White has come and taken his place. First of all, do you agree with that? And do you think there's any surprises in, in who was left out? Let's let's go back to the initial 33. I think, so that came out uh, a week before the final 26 was announced, wasn't it? Yes. And I was sort of looking at that, and, and you, you always go on social media as well, and, and I was sort of thinking, it was reading so many opinions, and I was thinking, well, this, this wasn't even the hard decision for Southgate. <laughs> this is just the first bundle of players. The hard bit is cutting all some of this brilliant talent out. I think it was... It was interesting when I first saw the 26 and the seven players who had obviously been harshly cut to see that firstly James Ward-Prowse and Jesse Lingard had been cut. And I guess that maybe came from the fact that I was expecting after the March internationals that we would go for four at the back. And so I was thinking maybe, you know, you do need that additional midfielder. And it was already looking a bit, you know, sort of uh, bare in the midfield to begin with in the 33. I didn't see many players there who I thought oh yeah well they'll they'll probably get cut I think you know both of those two have pretty good USBs don't they um yeah. well yeah I was a bit surprised and then suddenly I thought okay we're going for three at the back then in the tournament in that case but uh it's not what we've seen in the last game so uh once again Southgate is keeping us thinking he is isn't he uh, I mean the whole Trent Alexander-Arnold will he won't he the media were were building that up um and then he was in um, and then it kind of made it made it sort of easy for for everyone. I mean, it sounds horrible, but he's he's pulled up with that injury and and pulled out of the squad. And and Ben White has benefited from that, hasn't he? Look, it's it's obviously the first emotion for everyone is going to be sadness for, for for Trent. I think you know all of the stuff that he's had to deal with in the last few weeks on the media about them guessing. I mean, Southgate's been absolutely clear that he has not spoken to the media, you know, behind his back. So I think that can be damaging for a player, can't it? And then to hear, okay, you are in, 
well, that's, you know, why, why was all of that going on in the newspapers? Um, it's really upsetting for him to be to be pulling out with an injury, uh, especially so so soon before the tournament. I think it was interesting to to choose four right backs to begin with. I know Trippier can play left back if you need him to. Walker can play as a third centre back. So has Reese James recently. In terms of his replacement, I guess maybe I was half expecting Ward Prowse to get in, but uh, inwardly I, I, I'm I'm quite pleased because I'm looking at the centre back options if we play four at the back. And I, you know, the player who was going to replace Trent at this stage isn't really going to get much game time at this tournament. It's uh, it's about the balance, and uh, I think it was right to choose uh, Ben White, you know, or, or he could have gone with Ben Godfrey, but uh, you know, a centre back because you know if Maguire is injured for longer than we expect him to be, the only real options you've got there is Tyrone Mings, John Stones, who I would assume is a starter, and Connor Cody. Now you kind of need another one just in case. Yeah, I think Ben White impressed in the in the last two games. So yeah, why not? Why not give him some experience? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, well, let's let's move on to those two games, Austria and Romania. What do we glean from it? I mean, I as I say, I came away thinking, well, a little bit confused. I didn't really know what to think. We saw no Champions League or Europa League finalists. Uh, the players from that, Harry Kane, only got one. Well, three quarters of the game, I think. Um, and yeah, as I say, the, the Romania game was a bit of a, a B team. Yeah, well, I mean, the one real thing that I was really pleased with was to have fans back at last. Uh, I know that you were at the games. Um, do you know how many do you know how many days it's been since we last had a home crowd? So, well, so the home crowd would have been against Montenegro November was, yeah. 2019. So... Well, there's, there's obviously 365 days in the middle of that. Well, I don't know. My maths is atrocious, but it's got to be 500 and something. I don't know. Yeah, 566 days. I mean, that is ridiculous when you think about it, isn't it? It is. It's, oh, uh, we were so pleased to have them back, even if it was just 10% or whatever. <laughs> yeah, no, it was It was good to be back. It was It was a good atmosphere. It was It was an ideal opportunity to uh, to catch up with people as well. And and yeah, and I think the players took a, uh, took a lift from it. Can't say I was particularly pleased with the overall performances of either game, to be quite honest with you. Sort of looking at the, the stats from the Austria game, and we had 39% of possession. Fewer passes, fewer shots. That's fine. You know, if you want to play in that way, we know that we're able to adapt to playing counter-attacking football. When we talk about counter-attacking football in England, we'll probably always refer back to that Spain win in Seville. But the problem was, for me, was when we got the ball, we didn't start dashing forward with four or five. It was sort of, okay, let's let's get comfortable again. And I, I just think you've got to have something to show for your possession. Yeah, that, that was disappointing. And then to see that the, the same sort of issue happen again against Romania, we don't want to have a moan. But the, the problem is these sort of friendlies are, are a chance to really strike some fear into the group stage opponents. We've got Croatia next week. And um, I, I doubt there'll be... Uh, They'll be too fearful, you know, in, in addition from, from what we've seen in the last two games, to be quite honest with you. Let's, let's look at some of the uh, individual performances. I, I was really, really interested in how the midfield two of Jude Bellingham and Declan Rice was going to work when I saw the lineup. I actually thought it was a really, really good partnership and I thought they worked brilliantly. I know that Rice at West Ham has a sort of similar role there where he's got Thomas Suchek, who obviously 
we're going to be playing in the group stage, uh, Czech Republic. He's got some Thomas Suchek to to go forward, and and sort of he knows that Declan Rice is going to be there if it all goes goes to rubbish in an attack. And I think I think it was sort of similar there with with Jude Bellingham as well. Yeah, one of the ones that stood out for me was that was the one that got the goal, Bakayo Saka. I thought he had a, a fabulous game. Yeah, I think uh, it was interesting because obviously when. When you see the squad that was announced, uh, Saka's never played in uh, in a in a back four for England. But in, well, in, in a game where we've played a back four yeah. is what I mean by that. I thought he was pretty good. He, he adapted quite well. Obviously, he plays a similar sort of role for Arsenal. The goal was good. I think our front four. That's exactly what we need to see this this summer: is a front four darting forward as soon as we get the ball. If one of them doesn't put it in another one will. That's exactly what we want to see. We carved them open brilliantly and I think Saka was a big part of that. Let's move on to to Austria. A name that we haven't mentioned from that Austria game is one that featured quite heavily in the Romania game was a a certain Jack Grealish who it's safe to say had a a good game against Austria and and another good game against Romania. He's, He's a player that gets the crowd on their feet. He's just an exciting player, isn't he? And it's what England are crying out for. Absolutely. I mean, he's he's like a, a new Gascoigne. He's just n- no mucking around. He's straightforward, forward thinking all the time. And he's always got his head up. If only he can stop being fouled so many times so that we can watch him dribble a few touches further. Just go further, um, yeah. But that's yeah. that's one of his things, isn't it? He can he can draw the player into him and he can draw the foul, uh, which which can be to our advantage, as we saw with the penalty. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That's that's something that this is the sort of game management that, that the top teams are able to are able to rely on. It was quite interesting actually to see Jack Grealish play as a, a sort of central number ten, where we've never really seen him play for England before. We know he can play there, but he's always played off the left for England, often in a in a you know a front three which is which is quite narrow as well. But that was that was really good. I mean, he sort of played in that Mason Mount role that, that he's been playing at for England. I think in both games he impressed. I think he was probably, you'd have to say, the best chance of, of getting forward in open play and getting a goal. I do think he could shoot a few more times. I think he often gets there and does all the hard work. And then it's sort of, you know, when he, when he, when he offloads the ball, he's, he's a very unselfish player and that, that, that works in his favour a lot of the time. But you almost, you're almost crying out for him to pull the trigger just, just once or twice in a game. And uh I certainly noticed that against Austria. We could have done with that because there were a few opportunities where he definitely could have uh, lashed one from outside the box. And who knows what happens when you do that? Well, yeah, you've got to take chances, haven't you? He certainly got the crowd going um, to the point where uh, people were singing his name. England fans were singing his name. Yeah, he was saying that after the game. He was saying it's lovely to uh, to have the fans singing my name. Obviously, this is the first time that he's played in front of uh, in front of fans for England. <laughs> easy to get excited about Jack Grealish and we all are let's you know let's not take anything away from him we're all excited by the game that he plays I do think though in tournament football it's going to be very cagey in the in in the opening stages probably the first half of most games so I I feel like maybe there is an argument for bringing him on from the bench he's probably the one player in the squad who can change a game more than any other so if we are in danger maybe he's a good one to bring off the bench because we do have such wealth in those attacking areas. Obviously, I'm just playing devil's advocate. This, you know, 
I'm, well, I'm, I'm going to get we're going to get a few listeners here who are, who are thinking, "Oh, don't get this guy on again." Uh, well, but, no, this this is interesting because shortly we're going to try and name a a starting eleven for that Croatia game, and and you you and me may be going down the same avenue here, but we'll find out. We'll find out. <laughs> You're building the suspense already, aren't you? <laughs> <laughs> I am, yes. Who else do we have? Dominic Calvert-Lewin, both Jaden Sancho both hit the bar as well. So we had a couple of opportunities in the Romania game. Sam Johnston in goal, although I can't see him um, taking much part in the tournament. I had a, uh, had made a cracking save. Um, so there were some good performances from the players, and especially James Ward-Prowse as well, for a player that hasn't been picked, was doing his best to, to show Gareth I should have been picked. Yeah, well, I, I mentioned that in uh, in my match report that uh, that I published, and uh, I was saying, you know, a, a lot of these players, it, obviously Southgate's trying to repay them with a bit of game time for having, you know, come to the squad, even though they're not going to be in the final twenty six. But given that the decision to bring Ben White in had not been made by that point, I mean, they all had still something to play for, didn't they? And uh, James Ward Prowse did his chances no harm. I mean, obviously now that at the time of recording, we know that Ben White is. Uh, is in the squad, but you know James Ward-Prowse had a fantastic first half. I think Ben White at centre back was fantastic, actually. Luke Shaw in the first half, I think, had a really good game. He was willing to to run forward, and I think that's definitely one of the one of the positions at left back that it's sort of it doesn't really matter who starts because they're sort of going to give you the, a similar thing in uh, Chilwell and Shaw, or even if it's Trippier with a right foot. Yeah, I was I, I was still wasn't impressed by the performance, and um, it's sort of it's sort of annoying for all the possession when. Your first chance comes from a set piece after half an hour, um, and that was the Calvert Lewin header that looped onto the bar. Yeah, maybe, maybe we could uh, made a few more chances in the, in the first half. I think. Well, that was the the games really. So it's not a great deal to to talk about it, but there is something that I I think we do need to touch. And I don't want to spend too long on it, as as I've often sort of said before. Um, I don't really like mixing sort of politics and football, but sort of one of the big talking points has been the the taking of the knee and and the reaction to it at, at both games. I kind of felt that there would have been some sort of reaction to it in the sort of build-up. We've obviously seen it in the Premier League and, and various other games, um, but fans not actually been in stadiums to witness it. And, and perhaps I didn't think it would be such a... A big boo, um, especially in the Austria game. I've got a couple of bits of audio here that um, I'm going to play. I mean, the first game, I, I mean, let, let me just say, I mean, in general, I, I kind of felt awkward, felt sort of angry and embarrassed and I guess confused as well and disgusted. Um, it's, it's such a strange thing that, that is happening at England games and, and we obviously know 
why they're doing it and and gareth southgate has has said why they're doing it but this could be this could be something that affects the players in a negative way if we are effectively booing our own players aren't we yeah i think it's just so confusing i don't really know why it's why it's happening i mean there are many things in football that people will boo at and i never thought that taking the knee would be one of them I think first and foremost, you need to be careful that all of the players, you know, for whom this is affecting, need to feel comfortable. That that has to be the main priority. And if taking the knee helps them to deal with everything that's going on, then keep doing it. I think, you know, Gareth has mentioned that he's been having conversations in the dressing room, in the training ground about this. Do we want to do it? Do we not? very democratic in the in the England uh, setup about about doing these sorts of things they all seem to want to keep doing it so keep doing it I think you know as long as change is happening at the same time which I think it is the wheels are in motion then yeah let's let's do everything we can to make these players feel comfortable when they walk onto a football pitch my only worry is with the next games being at Wembley obviously a larger crowd which you would hope that it would be more larger applause than any boos that may be heard. And, and obviously, I don't want to hear any boos. But my worry from a footballing perspective is if if the players are booed and then it affects them in that opening two, three minutes that there's a mistake made or chance missed and it can just, it can just maybe escalate. Football shouldn't be like this at all, should it? Not at all. It, it reminds me what you've just said then about the, um, I don't know if you remember, actually, one of the first qualifiers for this tournament, away to Montenegro. Yes. Uh, and we had quite a few boos for Raheem Sterling. Obviously, once he once he got the goal, he you know, did his talking with his footballing ability, which I think is the best way to combat it. And, you know, he scores the goal and he goes up to, to celebrate in a, in a way which is reactionary to, to, to the hate that he's been getting in the game. And then everyone knows about the Bulgaria game. Yeah, I, I think look, this is not something that we should have to be talking about. You know, this 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 should not be a thing. The mm-hmm. taking the knee, I think, is you know most people would say that it's it's for a, for a good reason that we're still doing it, that it hasn't died out yet. So yeah, I mean, I'm all in favour. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned those Montenegro and Bulgaria games. As fans, we were united behind the England team there um and and now it, there's there's a slight division uh, and i just want to quickly mention a, a tweet there's a um there's an england fan called billy who've, he's he's been on the podcast before billy the bee is a brentford fan and he tweeted so england fan behind me starts to rapidly boo the knee I turned around and told him his booing was making me feel uncomfortable. Fans all around him told him in no uncertain terms to shut up and asked him to move away from them. We're not with you. He's now gone. And I think there is a danger that we're alienating those that we stand next to in the stands, not just the players as well. Um, so this this really needs to to stop. The booing needs to stop. The applause needs to, to continue. And uh, just... Just to um, emphasise things, as you've mentioned, that Gareth and, and the team are, are fully behind it. Here's just um, something that uh, that Gareth said in a recent press conference. Well, the first thing is that you know we are collectively really disappointed that it happened. Um, I think you have to put yourself in the shoes of a young England player 
about to represent his country and because we're all trying to support move for equality move for um supporting our own teammates some of the experiences they have been through in their lives um some people decide to boo i think those people should put themselves in the shoes of those young players and how that must feel and if that was their children if they're old enough to uh have children how would they feel about their their kids being in that sort of situation so the most important thing for our players is to know that we are totally united on it we're totally um committed to supporting each other supporting the team um we feel that more than ever determined to take the knee through this tournament when it happened immediately before the kickoff i'd have been confused and i'd have been yeah i don't know how i would have reacted as a young player but in essence people are booing their own team i don't i don't really understand that if if you don't agree with the situation then perhaps you you don't have to applaud or you don't have to do anything but to to boo your own team um is is a very strange response in my mind so um i wanted to gauge that the players were happy to continue um and i think there's an acceptance that this gesture if you like is waning in its impact because we've been going now for a season but i think ahead of a european championship where you know the games are going around europe around the world um that moment just before the kickoff which will be shown everywhere will have a significant impact and if we can affect only a handful of people when we then we've made um the world better for others and um i think we'll affect more than a handful of people and um for that reason it it's worth us continuing okay let's go for something uh, a little bit more lighthearted i guess the starting 11 <laughs> against croatia <laughs> well, the one thing we do know harry maguire is not playing that's as as much as a given i think isn't it yeah i think i think he's been uh, very clear about that gareth in in uh, in talking to the media that that will not be an option on one hand, that makes it easy for us that we know he's not playing, uh, but it makes it slightly harder because we think, right, who's going to take his place? What formation are we going to go in? But how should we do this? Should we list a team first or should we go player by player or how do you want to do this? Let's let's go player by player. What about that? Because then go we on. can compare what we've got. Okay. Well, go on then. Let's, let's start in goal. Oh, you're making me start. Oh. <laughs> right. Okay. Uh, I've gone for Jordan Pickford. Yeah, uh, so. I think it's it's the obvious choice for me. Uh, he's not let England down. There's been a lot talked about in the last two years about his club form. I think he's finished the season really, really well. Uh, not so sure about the haircut, if I'm honest. But yeah, he's uh, he's the safest option for me. Yeah, no, I agree. I'll, uh, we'll have we'll have Pickford in goal. Yeah. Um, well, I guess if we're looking at the back line, we're either talking formation of a of a four at the back or a three at the back. So I'll say we're going to play three at the back. How do you see oh, it? Oh, you've scuppered my team straight ah. away. <laughs> straight away. I'm going to have to do some uh, some faster writing now no, on my no. page. <laughs> well, I'll tell you what. My my back three would see John Stones, Central, Carl Walker uh, on the right side of the three and Tyrone Mings on the, the left side with your wing backs of, of Ben Chilwell on the left and Rhys James on the right. Okay. Did you say Walker, Stones and Mings? Yes. Right, if I was going for a back five, that is exactly what I would do. 
Right. I think there's a probably a couple talking points in there. Going for Mings ahead of Connor Cody, I think, is one. And then going for Chilwell ahead of Luke Shaw is probably a, an even bigger talking point. Okay. Um, I, I would agree with you. I, I think that, that would be my five. But um, a lot of people would go for Cody because of the, uh, the presence, I think, that he gives you. All I would say about that is uh, we don't really, at that point, have any players. If, you, if you're going for Cody, Stones and Walker, any players in there who would really look at home on the left side of that back three, which is why I'd go for a left-footed Tyrone Mings. Yeah. Regarding the left wing back area, I've been talking to a lot of people about this position. And again, like I said earlier, for me, it's sort of, eh, it doesn't really matter um, because both of them will give you a similar sort of outcome. I would go for Chilwell in a back three as a, as a wing back. I'd also go for him in a back four if I was playing a back four ahead of Luke Shaw. I think there's a couple reasons for that. Ben Chilwell is stronger than he gets credit for. I think also going forward, he's probably better than Luke Shaw. Offers you a bit more pace and a little bit more direct attacking uh, impetus. But then also, I'm looking at whose discipline could let you down. And I think if Luke, Luke Shaw's a bit house proud about his defending, and if he gets beaten by you know an Mbappe or a Dries Mertens or something like that, I could see him lashing out. I really could, and just just trying to hack the player down to to prevent you know any kind of embarrassment about his defending, and that gets him a red card. And we've seen this all too many times with England. Maybe I'm thinking too much about it, but uh, yeah, I'd, I'd go for Ben Chilwell. Well, I then think based on Gareth and and the way he he does things, I think we're going to have Declan Rice sitting in front of those. Yeah, I think I think most people would uh, would accept that that's going to be the way nowadays. I I, I would. Um, I would very much like to see him in there. I think he's the most obvious choice. You can you can fall into the trap of being too clever sometimes and trying trying to think too much about the tactics of you know player on player. But I mean, Declan Rice is the obvious choice, isn't he? It's just who you have next to him. I think. And this is where I go on. Who would you have then next to him? Well, if we're going for the back three, mm. I think because you're losing an attacking player, I'd like to see Jude Bellingham in there because I like to uh, you know I, I think he. When he gets forward, he can he can link the midfield to the attack quite nicely. But in my initial four at the back formation that I had, I'd go for Phillips next to him, uh, just for a little bit more assurity. I don't think Henderson is quite match sharp at the moment. If he was, I would I would have him. Uh, I think he probably the most experienced, possibly even the most talent in there. But yeah, I'd, I'd probably go Phillips in a back four, Bellingham in a back three. Okay, and and he has sort of paired up Declan Rice with Phillips quite often and they do seem to work work well together i've i've gone down a more more attacking route and i've decided that mason mount would uh would fit in there would go in there let's let's supply the front line um with a bit of mason mount i think that would be a wise decision as well i obviously have, having just written this down very quickly while we're talking while we've just really quickly changed formation i, I did forget <laughs> about mason mount. i i i would like to see mason mount in there whether you need those two defensive midfielders in there against Croatia, and then from then on you can play Mason Mount. I, I don't know, but yeah, I'd be you know I'd be quite happy with Mason Mount. I wouldn't I wouldn't really cry if any of them were alongside Declan Rice. To be honest with you, I think you've got five substitutes. Let's you know we're going to be using one of them in that position, so it doesn't really bother me too much in the Croatia game because I think you need to be a little bit more secure 
defensively in that game. But um, yeah, Mason Mount's fine. He's, he's got good discipline off the ball as well. He's, he works hard for the team. So yeah. Which leaves us then with three left, a, three, a front three. Yeah, front three. Yeah. Two wingers and a striker. Yep. And I guess our, our striker is our captain is Carrie Kane. You what? No, no, I'm joking. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, of course, of course he's in there, yeah. <laughs> so, yes, which leaves us with two. Um, go on, I'll go for one of them, and I'll say that one of them would be Phil Foden. I would agree. I'd have him off the right, yeah. yeah. I think his performances for Manchester City this season make it very hard to leave him out. He's almost forced Gareth, Gareth's hand, really, hasn't he? Yes. And which, go on, and then you're, you're the other one for you? Okay, this is going to be a bit controversial, but I'm going to give a vote of confidence to Raheem Sterling. I know he's not been on the best form this season, but uh, he's not let England down. His link-up play with Harry Kane is fantastic when he plays for England. He's a teammate of Phil Foden as well. I would have him in there. I think if he if he can get an early goal in this tournament, that will set him up. Yeah, which then obviously begs the question that everyone is going to ask... Where is Jack Grealish? Where is Jack Grealish indeed, <laughs> yes. As I said earlier, I think coming on from the bench, he is allowed more space because I think the game is stretched by that point. Maybe one of the earlier substitutes that we make, if if one of our wingers is lagging a bit, I don't, I don't know, maybe we could bring him on and he can just run riot, do whatever the hell he does in in, <laughs> in that area and uh, just call, cause a load of problems because we know that Croatia's midfield is going to be very defensive indeed. So if he can uh, cause them some issues, keep them bedded in, then that would uh, that would be fine by me as well. Like you know, like like we say, it doesn't really matter who starts in the front three. We know that whoever does, they're going to cause problems. Sancho hit the bar with a brilliant effort the other night. Rashford scored the penalty. He got in behind a few times. Um, it's easy to forget those two. Yeah, I, I would like to see Sterling in there. I really would. Yeah. One thing I, I will say, people are obviously are going to say, well, where is where is Grealish? And, and obviously this is hopefully a seven-game tournament for us, which seven games are going to come hopefully in the blink of an eye. They're going to be game after game after game fairly quickly. I've been looking back through previous England matches at, at big tournaments. I don't think it's necessarily important to play these big players in the first game. Um, for example, Jeff Hurst, obviously, World Cup hat-trick winner in 1966, didn't play in the opening game against Uruguay. David Platt obviously had a, a huge impact in 1990, didn't play in the first game against Ireland. Tunisia in 1998, David Beckham didn't play. And Michael Owen only came on with five minutes to go. All these players had massive impacts into tournaments later on. So I don't think it's a massive issue we get hung up on Jack Grealish potentially being out. But then if he could come in and run riot, maybe against Scotland, really let him off the leash, I think that that could excite. Yeah, um, I must say, if I can just point out our recent run of opening game opening games at major tournaments. Until Tunisia in 2018, our last opening game victory at a major tournament was 2006 against Paraguay. 1-0 and own goal. So, I mean, that that wasn't even exactly flattering. Uh, but, um, yeah, I would be cautious. I think the first game is always the most important game in the group stage because it, it sets you off. 
how different could it have been if we'd drawn against Tunisia and Kane hadn't scored that last minute goal? I don't know. I'm just playing devil's advocate again. But um, again, it doesn't matter. We can swap and change throughout the tournament. I don't think, I think it was different in 2018 because we were such a new and young squad and we didn't really have the depth. I think it was logical to pick the same 11 every game. Yeah. Obviously, barring the, uh, the third group stage game that. I think with this tournament, the difference will be we can shuffle. We can shuffle from game to game, depending on the opposition, depending on fitness. I don't think it's too much of a big deal, especially when we look at our attacking options. I mean, such depth in those in those areas. You know, we haven't even mentioned Sancho getting anywhere near a starting place, whereas you could put him into pretty much any other top international side and he'd be he'd be pushing for a starting place. So I don't think you need to keep the same team throughout the tournament. I don't think he'll shuffle it majorly. It'll probably just be a couple players uh, from game to game who, who, who swap in and out. But yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll have to see. Again, he's hard to predict, isn't he, Gareth? He is. um, yes. There's, there's not, not really much point in us going into uh, you know tactics and everything like that because uh, our lineups might be false from the, from the, from the outset. Highly likely. But the, I guess the one prediction we can try and make is, can we win this opening game? Well, I was talking to uh, I was talking to my dad about this the other the other day, and um, I was saying, look, I I, I bet I know exactly what's going to happen. Uh, it's going to be one all with twenty minutes to play, and then it's it's you know panic stations, and you you you've got to get that goal, and uh, you've got to make sure you don't concede at the other end, and you've got to make sure you have enough opportunities and chances to get that goal, and that's where the substitutions are going to come in handy. Oh, I don't know. I don't, you want to say it's going to be a win, don't you? But who knows? I mean, World Cup finalists. I know they've had a lot of retired players since then, but who knows? They can still cause problems. They can. Well, I'll tell you what, once the uh, once the game is, is done and dusted, uh, should we chat again? Yes, let's do it. Let's have a review after the Croatia game. Let's, let's do. hope it's a positive one, please. <laughs> <laughs> let's hope so. And you, your plans for threelines.net, you, you're going to be regularly writing there? Yeah, we're going to get a match report out for every single game. And um, yeah, we'll we'll see what happens after the tournament. <laughs> it may be a three-game tournament. It may be a seven-game tournament. We don't know. So, <laughs> As long as it's more than three, let's hope. Aidan, thank you very much for your time as always. And yeah, we'll, we'll speak after the Croatia. Yep, look forward to it. Thanks to Aidan there. And you can find his match reports at threelions.net. And as I said, we'll be catching up with him after the Croatia game. Now, the plan over the next few weeks is to speak with a few bloggers as the tournament progresses to get a a variety of reactions to the games. Thanks, as always, for listening. The Croatia preview episode is on the way in a couple of days' time. I hope you can join me for it. Euro 2020 is getting ever closer. Don't forget, you can like, subscribe, follow, all that jazz on uh, on all the social media channels. You know where they are. So until the next time, cheers.